Well, good morning, Union Chapel. How are you guys doing this morning? Good morning. You guys doing okay? Thanks for being here this morning. Thanks to all, all of you who are tuning in online. It's good to see you guys and to worship with you this morning. Just want to reiterate about 180's open house tonight. If you're a parent of a 7th through 12th grader, you're also invited. And I just want to encourage and welcome you. Maybe you've been wondering what happens on a week-to-week basis, and this is your opportunity to come and worship with us and to eat good food, and it'll be a good time, and uh, that'll be from 6 to 8 o'clock. Incoming 7th graders all the way through graduating seniors will recognize our seniors as well, and we're just really excited about the vision for 180. Uh, This summer, we're going to be going through The Chosen. I'm really excited about that personally. It's impacted my life, and I'm excited to hear what comes of that for your students this summer uh, through 180. Just another quick life update for us. My wife, Brittany, just graduated a few weeks ago with her doctorate in physical therapy. Um, Yeah, it's a really big deal. Uh, So proud of her and encouraged by what the Lord's been doing in her life. And if you would, just be praying and joining us in prayer as she's on the job search right now. She has a few job opportunities that we're just thinking through and praying about. And so we would covet your prayers as we try to make a decision as she's about to launch her career. Uh, And then just me personally, uh, about six months ago, I started a program uh, called the Dallas Willard School of Kingdom Living, and it happens out in Los Angeles, California. We go out there a few times uh, throughout this 18-month program, and essentially what it is is it just helps people uh, learn spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices. It's a spiritual formation course to be able to train others to do that in the congregation. And so I'm so excited for what the Lord has been doing and equipping me in as I try to help equip the next generation of people uh, lean into the Word of God and to lean into these disciplines that are so important and so crucial. And this past February, last February, I had the opportunity to go out to Los Angeles and we stayed at this monastery. And while we were out there one morning, we woke up really early and we were practicing the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude, which as you can imagine, uh, is really difficult for me, really hard for me. But while I was there uh, at the monastery, just walking around in the garden, I really believe that the Lord inspired me to share this word with you that he shared with me uh, while I was there in the garden. You see, for me, I had been just sprinting through life, going from one thing to the next, and I hadn't really been slowing down to consider, to consider what God was doing in my life. And he shared this word with me. He reminded me of his own words. In Matthew chapter 6, it's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You should read it. It's a great time and a great message. But there in the middle will be what we springboard off of in our text. So our custom here at Union Chapel is to stand as we hear the word of God. And our text this morning will be in Matthew 6, 25 through 34. It'll be on the screen as well. And it goes like this. This is the words of Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Other translations, other versions of the scriptures say, consider the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Later on, Matthew and Matthew 10, he goes on to tell just how valuable birds are to people. And he says in Matthew 10 that two sparrows are sold out in the marketplace for just one penny. 
And maybe you received a penny when you walked in this morning to service. So a few weeks ago, we had Chick-fil-A. This week, we got a penny. And so it pays to come to church. Sorry, all of you who are tuning in online, you're missing out. You can thank me later for the penny. You can keep that. This is yours. But maybe you're in here this morning and you're questioning God. Maybe you're questioning that God cares about you, that he thinks about you, that he understands you, that he hears your prayers. Let me tell you that you are so valuable to God. And this week, I want to encourage you to keep this on your person, to refer to it often, that God cares about you, and he hears you, and he understands you, and he sees you. And we'll refer to this later on in the message. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all the splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, the world, the people in our culture, they all run after all of these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. And here's the challenge. Here's the command. I hope that you're encouraged by this word, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything that we're worried about, everything that consumes us, the Lord will take care of it. He will give it to us as well. So therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. May the Lord inspire us as we hear and receive the word of God. You may be seated. A few weeks ago, Pastor Greg gave a message, and one of his points has been really challenging me, especially as I've been engaging with the text this morning and preparing for the message. But he said this, that what you think about God has everything to do with how you live your life. What you think about God has everything to do with how you live your life. And this morning, the title of this message is to consider God. It's to consider God that maybe God is at work in your life more than you even think about. I know for me, I've been walking with Jesus now for 24 years, and I need to be reminded of this every single day, that the Lord is working And the Lord is constantly working, and I just need to fix my eyes on him. I need to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. If any of you know me very well, you know that I idolize thrifting. I I love saving money. I hate spending money. And this past January, as I was thinking through the new year, I felt very convicted about this. And, And I just felt like the Lord was asking me to quit idolizing this, to just trust that the Lord will provide, that I don't need to just save every single penny. And I need to be more generous with my finances. And so this January, I decided I'm not much of a person to make New Year's resolutions, but this year I decided to quit idolizing thrift. And so I shared that with my wife and I shared that with a couple of trusted friends to hold me accountable in this. And then a few weeks into the year, my wife and I were eating dinner together at the kitchen table and she looks at me and she says, hey, I'm tired of putting money into your car. You see, my car had been breaking down what seemed to be every single week. Like every other week, we were at the mechanic getting something fixed. And she says, maybe we should invest in a newer car. And so we started doing research and we came across one that we enjoyed and that we liked. And we drove down to the dealership and we take it out on a test drive and it's really nice, brand new car. I'd never done anything like that. And so we go in to purchase a vehicle, and about an hour into the negotiation, it was getting really intense, I decide 
that I just need to take a breath. And so I, I look over to Brittany. I said, hey, I'm just going to take a lap around the dealership. And I got up and I started walking around the dealership. And I just invited the Lord into that moment. I said, God, is it okay if we buy this car? Like, is it okay if we purchase this car? Are we going to be okay? And I didn't hear a yes or no. But what I do feel like I heard from the Lord is this. Christopher, if you buy this car, it isn't just Brittany's decision. It isn't just your decision. It's your decision together, collectively. Uh, I thought, okay, that's pretty good advice. That's pretty good wisdom. And so I walked back into the dealership and I sat down. I looked at Brittany and I said, do you want to get this car? And she said, yeah, I really enjoy it. And I said, okay, me too. I really like it too. And so we decided to buy this car. And then on Monday, when I drove into the office with my brand new car, everybody was commenting about it at the office. And I started to feel a little insecure. You know, they're like, oh my gosh, you got a brand new car. This is so nice. How did you ever afford it? And in my dysfunction, in my insecurity, I just boarded out, well, you know, it's my wife's doctor money. That's how we got this car. That's the only way we were able to afford it. And of course, everybody laughed. You know, they thought that it was a good time. And that became the running joke, that it was my wife's doctor money that got us this car. And I kept repeating that over and over again. And then Wednesday... Me and Austin Craig, we've been driving up to Winchester to get our CDL to be able to drive the church bus. And so I picked him up at the church on Wednesday afternoon to drive up to Winchester, and he got into my car, and he began to comment about it. Oh, my gosh, this is so nice. Look at that screen. It's so big. It's massive. You know, all these things. How did you afford this? And I said, you know, Austin, it's my wife's doctor money. And in that moment, I had made that joke tons of other times, but in that moment, I just felt like the Lord rebuked me. And he said, Christopher, remember at the dealership how I told you that it wasn't just Brittany's decision, it it wasn't just your decision, it was your decision collectively? And I was like, my gosh, yeah, I do remember that. And so I came home and and I confessed that to Brittany and, and then that was on a Wednesday night. Thursday morning, we wake up at at 4.30 for her to go and get ready for her clinicals. She was driving down to Indianapolis at the time and she comes back into the bedroom and she says, the house is really cold. And I was like, oh, okay. So I got up to turn the thermostat up and it it had been running for the last 12 hours and it was 45 degrees in our house. And I was like, oh no. And so I go up into our attic. I don't know much about furnaces, but I could smell and see that things weren't as they should be up in our attic. And so I call a good friend of mine who's an HVAC technician and he comes and he takes a look at it and he says, Christopher, I have really bad news, but you're going to have to need a new furnace. They actually don't make this type of furnace anymore that's affordable. And I would advise you to get it out of your attic. You should relocate it. So you need all new ductwork. And I said, okay, man, how much is that going to cost? And he told me the number, and it was almost the exact number that we had just put down for the car. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is unbelievable. This is crazy. But in that moment, I just felt like the Lord being so gracious and generous to me. And he said, man, if you didn't take ownership of this, if you just continued to joke about blaming Brittany for buying this car, you would have been so frustrated with her. You would have been so angry with her. But now you get to come together And you get to work on a solution together, collectively, as a unit, as one. And it was such a sweet gift. And I share that story with you this morning because I really believe that God is always working. He's working in our victory. He's working in the mundane. He's working in our failure. And I want to encourage you this morning, that this morning we're going to highlight a lot of different areas in which I believe God is working. And we're going to go really wide, but not very deep. And the reason for that is my challenge to you 
is if you're encouraged by one of these points or maybe multiple points this morning that you would just spend time with Jesus and the word and invite him into that moment and say, God, speak to me. I don't believe that you're good in my failure. Speak to me. And my prayer as I've been preparing for this message, I've been praying that the Lord would speak to you in a new way, maybe for the first time in your life, that you would hear the voice of God. My first point is this, that God is always working. And we see this play out in 2 Samuel chapter 6, and it's a story about a man by the name of Obed-Edom. And Obed-Edom was alive during the reign of King David, and King David had just won all these impressive victories And he was bringing the Ark of the Covenant, which was just where the presence of God was before the new covenant. And so he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, into the city of David. And they're throwing this huge celebration. There are 3,000 men surrounding the Ark of the Covenant. And one of the closest people was a man by the name of Uzzah. And they had just put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart, and they were rolling it down a hill. And the text says that as it was rolling down the hill, it hit a pothole. It was like it was riding in Muncie or something with all the potholes that we have. And so it hit this pothole and it began to shake left and right. It became imbalanced. And Uzzah was a little scared and so he reached out to the Ark of the Covenant to stabilize it and when he touched it, he died. The Lord struck him down. And David was so mad, he was so frustrated with the Lord about this that he began to question God. He began to question the goodness of God. And he said, you know what? I don't want the Ark of the Covenant. I don't want the presence of God in my city. Send it somewhere else. And so the people stopped the cart in the home of Obed-Edom. That's where it stayed. And for a few weeks, Obed-Edom's home was blessed beyond measure. They had never seen a blessing like that before. And David, one day, he was going out and he was doing his rounds and he saw all this commotion going on at Obed-Edom's home. And he said, what is going on down there? And a person told him, well, that's where the Ark of the Covenant is. That's Obed-Edom's home. And they have received blessing after blessing after blessing. And David realized this truth in the text in 2 Samuel chapter 6, that where the presence of God is, you can expect to see the works of God. God was there, God was present, and the cool thing about it now is that we have a new covenant and that the Lord is resting in every single one of us who have professed Christ, that we are the image bearers and we get to actually move forward with God inside of us. And that's good news. And God is working. He's working in your life, he's working in my life, and so what if? What if we considered that God was at work in the annoying coworker that we just can't stand, but maybe God is doing something in their life, or the boss that just doesn't have it together, that just doesn't have a good agenda that we can't stand, but maybe God is at work with them. Maybe it's with your mother or father that you're having a hard time relationally with right now, or your brother or sister who's making bad choices. Maybe God is at work in their life. And what would change about our life, what would change about our relationships if we decided to to believe that God is at work in their life? Quit just chalking things up to coincidences. Oh, well, it was just a coincidence that I was behind that person in line. Maybe, but maybe God is doing something. Maybe God is encouraging you to engage in conversation with that person. Just maybe. 
The second point is this, that God is working in our failure. God works in our failure. We can read about this in Judges chapter 16. But the story is of Samson. And Samson was a mighty warrior. He was given to the Israelites for protection. He was born, and at birth, he made a covenant with God that he would never cut his hair. And if he never cut his hair, the Lord would continue to give him strength. And he falls in love with this woman named Delilah. And Delilah is then paid by the Philistines who were persecuting Israel, that they wanted to bring an end to Samson. And they bribe Delilah. And they say, Delilah, if you just, if you just tell us how Samson gets his strength, we will pay you handsomely. And so Hannah, or Delilah goes up to Samson and, and she says, hey, how do you get your strength? And three different times, Samson d- tells her a different story. And after the fourth time, Delilah is so devastated. She goes up to Samson and she says, I thought you loved me. I thought you would tell me the truth about how you get your strength. And Samson gives in. And he says, you know what? I've never shared this with anybody. But if anyone was to cut my hair, I would lose my strength. I made a covenant with the Lord at a young age. And if anyone was to cut my hair, I would lose my strength. And so Delilah waits for Samson to fall asleep. And while he's asleep, she cuts his hair. And then she calls the Philistines in. And the Philistines surround Samson and seize him. And Samson tries to fight back, but he is powerless. He's weak. The text says that the Spirit of God had left Samson in the moment that his hair was cut. And they throw him into prison. They gouge out his eyes. And then there comes a celebration of the Philistines' God. And they're throwing this huge festival. They're celebrating. And they bring Samson out for entertainment. Samson now is blind. He's weak. He's frail. He hasn't eaten in a while. And they're asking him to perform, to dance. Where is your God? Where is Yahweh at now? And Samson is just so humiliated. He's so devastated. He has never failed in this way before. And he, and he calls out to God. He says, God, I know that I've failed against you. I know that I've sinned against you, but I need you in this moment. I need your strength. I need your presence back into my life. And you know, the text says that the Lord heard Samson and was gracious to Samson. And in that moment, the Lord heard Samson's prayer. Samson receives his strength, and he could feel it coming back into his body. He could feel the presence of the Lord coming back into his body, and he calls out to a servant girl, and he says, where are the pillars that hold up this building that we're in? And she walks him to these pillars, and she places his hand on each pillar, and he just cries out to the Lord. And in that moment, with all of his might, with all of his strength, his strength is coming back into his body. He pulls and pushes against these pillars, and they collapse in on themselves. And the text says that Samson defeated more Philistines in that moment in his death than he ever did in his life. And so you can expect that even despite ourselves, God will see us through to the very end. I love what Solomon writes, maybe one of the most wise men of all time. He writes this in Proverbs 24, 16. He says, for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. For though the person made right before God falls seven times, they will rise again. And maybe you're looking at me and you're saying, Christopher, I sin. I fall seven times before I get up out of bed in the morning. I'm, I'm in trouble. Well, the first century readers would have read this like this, because the number seven is the number of completion. 
So they would have read it like this. For though the righteous fall again and again and again and again, they get back up. They fix their eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and then we can seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So maybe you're going through a season right now where you just can't believe how you got there. You've gotten yourself into a lot of trouble. You found yourself into a habitual sin that you can't just seem to shake free of. Or maybe you're just going through relationally with a lot of different people, just a mess. And you're asking, does God care? Even though I've gotten myself in this situation, can I turn back to God? Well, if the righteous continue to turn back to God, I think we can too. And so my encouragement is that even though you're in a season that just feels so bleak, I love what Pastor Greg says, when you're going through it, we just keep going. We just keep walking. We don't sit down. We don't roll over. We just keep moving forward. We fix our eyes on Jesus for his strength. And so maybe you're going through a really difficult, difficult season. Maybe you've had things that have happened to you that aren't anything that you've done to deserve it. Keep fixing your eyes on Jesus. This is just a season. It's just temporary. When I first went into ministry, I was a missionary on campus at Ball State University, and I was living with a handful of guys, and one of them just happened to be a employee at Fresh Time. He was their marketing manager. And he came over to me and he said, Christopher, I'm in some trouble. We're trying to throw an event for Welcome Week for Fresh Time, but I don't have any ideas. And I think the only idea that I have is to get a bus full of students and ship them over to Fresh Time for them to experience it. You know, because who doesn't love Fresh Time? <laughs> and uh, sorry if you, if, if you like it. But uh, he said, I just don't know if I can get people over there. And I need your help. You can gather people for me. And so we came up with this plan that we were going to rent a bus. We were going to get it decked out. And it would say fresh time, you know, all over the side. People were going to be so excited about it. And so he's like, yeah, this is really good. So we rinse a bus. And, and we, our plan was to meet at the bell tower at 8 o'clock. And uh, so I told him that. And, and so I started going around campus. And the first couple of people that I came to, I said, hey, do you want to get on a bus and go to fresh time? They're having a lot of great deals today for students. And people laughed at me, and they told me to get lost. And I had to come up with a new plan. And so I started walking around campus at this moment, and I would go up to people and I said, hey, are you ready for the greatest night of your life? Do you want to experience something memorable that you'll never forget for the rest of your life? And now I got people. People were like, yeah, what's going on? I said, meet me at the bell tower at 8 o'clock. You're not going to want to miss it. And I didn't know if it was going to be effective, but I started doing that for a couple of Minutes and, and it, a couple minutes turned into a half an hour, and a half an hour turned into an hour. And at 7:55, I started walking up McKinley toward the bell tower. And to my surprise, there were a, a herd of students, like so many students. And I was like, I can't believe that this is working. And so I get up. There's a little ledge just underneath the bell tower, and I, I jump up on it and I just throw my hands up in the air and I said, Are you guys ready for the greatest night of your lives? And people are going crazy. They're going mad. They're like, Yeah, let's do it. Let's go. And then the bus comes up. And, you know, I'm expecting, you know, the fresh time bus like we had talked about. And I was getting a little nervous. But it was maybe, I don't know if it was better or worse. But the bus is just a white bus. It pulls up. And on the side, on each side, it says party bus. And people are going crazy. They're like, yeah, let's do it. And so people just one by one start like filling in this bus. And they start sitting down. And now the bus is getting so full that people can only stand up. 
And so I, sit, I, I get up on the bus and I just yell again, are you guys ready for the greatest night of your lives? And people are going crazy. They're rocking the bus back and forth. I mean, it's bumping. And then I just sit down. <laughs> and I tap the bus driver on the shoulder and I just thought we are in some trouble. <laughs> and we drive, you know, we drive down McKinley and people are starting to question, you know, the bus is starting to get a little bit more quiet. Like, where are we going? You know, like, what's going on? Or have we just been kidnapped? What is going on? And we pull into the parking lot of Fresh Time. And I just said, get ready. It's going to be crazy in there. And they get off the bus and they walk in and there's just this guy just in the middle of the store playing an instrument, you know, a little guitar, acoustic guitar, singing in a microphone. I mean, it was miserable. It was bad. <laughs> and people are like, well, what are we doing? I'm like, you're shopping. You know, you're getting great deals for students. And people were mad. People were mad, but we get back on the bus, and, and uh, there were 84. We counted 84 students that piled onto this bus. I mean, there were 84 people that have never been more mad at me <laughs> ever in their life. And we go on, and, and Monday morning comes around where we had our staff meeting, and I had to show up a little early. I didn't know why, but I had come up to the office a little early, and my pastors, the pastors of the church, were just laying into me. Like, what were you doing? You know, like, what, look at all the red flags here. You know, like, this was not a good decision. Like, this is not wise for you to do. Like, why did you do this? They're asking me all these questions. And yeah, it was weird. You know, it was real creepy. I looked a lot like this. I'm a bald, bearded man. Uh, but uh, a couple of uh, months ago, my wife and I, my wife and I were uh, meeting with a couple that we were going to be officiating their wedding. I was going to officiate their wedding. We were doing their premarital counseling. And I discipled uh, Sawyer, and her name was Cassidy. Here's a photo of them, Sawyer and Cassidy, up on the screen. Uh, and they were involved in our church. And I said, I remember how I met Sawyer, but Cassidy, I don't remember how I met you. And she began to laugh, like hysterically. And she's like, you don't remember? And the reason that I don't remember is because I had suppressed that story into my mind. And actually, I just remembered it a few months ago, and she told me it was an awesome story. But I was like, oh, my gosh, we met through the Fresh Time bus? And she's like, yeah, how could you forget? Uh, yeah, so it was amazing. You see... Cassidy ended up getting involved with our church through the Fresh Time bus, ended up giving her life to the Lord through college, ended up being discipled, ended up meeting her husband, Sawyer. Yeah, yeah, you can clap about that. It's an amazing story. And it's an amazing story that happened right in the midst of what I thought was the most embarrassing, one of my biggest failures in ministry. Like, it was humiliating. Like, I, su I literally suppressed it in my mind. I quit thinking about it. Like, I would not think about that until Cassidy reminded me of it. And then I start to think about the beauty of that. And this is me getting to officiate their wedding. It was just such a, a sweet, sweet season for my wife and I to be able to walk alongside them as they were about to do their vows. And so I, I share that again, that you can expect that even despite ourselves, God is at work. He will see us through to the very end. The, the third idea is this, that God works in the mundane. And you can read about this in John chapter 2. It's where Jesus turns water into wine. And I've been reading through the Gospels with a good friend of mine. We went to high school together. He's not a believer. But we've been reading through John together. And the other day, we came across a story. And we, we, he lives in Louisville, Kentucky. And we've been going through this Bible plan where you can comment on each text through the YouVersion Bible app. And so we've been texting back and forth through this Bible reading plan. 
And as I came to John chapter 2 and I read about the miracle of Jesus turning water into wine, I became very cynical. I began to question God in that. I said, God, this was the first miracle that you performed. You could have fed thousands of people as your first miracle. You could have healed the blind or allowed the lame to walk again. Like, why was this the first miracle that you performed? And, And I began to sit with it. And I began to read it and read it and read it over and over again, just sitting with the text. And then I started thinking, and I felt like the Lord spoke this into me. Maybe the Lord, maybe Jesus, he performed this miracle first because he was asked. You see, the mother of Jesus asked Jesus. Mary asks, hey, they've ran out of wine. Can you help? And Jesus does it. And so maybe you're going through a season right now where you're just going through the motions. Maybe you're just nothing, nothing too high, nothing too low, and you're just walking through life. Every day is a new day, another day, another dollar. You're just going through it. But I want to encourage you to consider God, even in this moment, even in the mundane, even in the areas that don't feel so significant. Because I think that if Jesus doesn't turn water into wine, nothing good or bad would happen. Maybe the reputation of the family is affected, but just for a little while, right? But this is what Jesus does because he cares about us. If it matters to you, it matters to God because you matter to God. And so maybe, just maybe, you need to cry out to the Lord in what just seems to be your ordinary, everyday life. A couple of weeks ago, my wife sent me on an excursion to find this very specific Indian spice and I ran over all of Muncie. I couldn't find it. And then finally, I looked it up on the internet, and they had one in stock at this mire in Indianapolis, on the west side of Indianapolis. And so I drove down. Yeah, I thought it would be fresh time. No, I don't shop there anymore for some reason. I'm not allowed back. Um, but we, I drive down to Indianapolis, and I get this spice. And it was just in the middle of the day on a Friday afternoon. And I'm walking out of the mire. And I'm walking down what I thought was the right aisle of vehicles, but it was the wrong aisle. But I'm walking down, like, looking for my car, and I'm like, what is going on? And then I pass somebody, and I make eye contact with him for an extended period of time, and and he looked familiar, but I I really couldn't recognize him, and so I stopped him, and I just, the first thing out of my mouth, I said, Dwayne? And he looked at me and said, Christopher? What are you doing down here? I said, what are you doing down here? You see, I met Dwayne as a freshman on campus at Ball State. We met every single week, and then he dropped out of college to take care of his elderly parents whose health was failing. And he was just going through a really hard time in life. And I hadn't, I hadn't stayed connected with them, but in that moment, I got to reconnect with Dwayne. And that just happened a few weeks ago. I don't know what will happen. I hope that the next time that I get to speak, I get to share a little bit more about Dwayne. But I've been questioning as I've been working on this message, maybe the Lord just happened for us to cross paths on the west side of Indianapolis at this random mire that just happened to have this Indian spice. We can chalk that up to coincidence. Oh yeah, it would have happened any other way. But no, maybe God is at work in Dwayne's life. And maybe Dwayne has something for me. Maybe I have something for Dwayne. I don't know, but I'm inviting the Lord into that space. And I'm asking, God, do you have anything for us? Do you have anything that Dwayne might need from me? And it changes my perspective. It changes everything. My last and final point is this, that God works in our victory. 
And we can read about this in Psalm 127. And maybe you're going through a really amazing season. I love what Psalm 127, 1 says. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. And maybe you're looking at that and you're like, what in the world does that mean? Well, let me explain it to you that this is such an awesome opportunity for celebration. If you've ever bought a house or built a home, there's something exciting about it. It's it's an exciting time. You're starting to think through all the memories that are going to be made in the home. And maybe you've accumulated some really cool stuff and, and you have to have somebody watch over it. Maybe it's a child or something like that that you're like, man, when I'm gone, somebody needs to take care of this. And you're just celebrating that victory of a new child or a new home. But unless you acknowledge God in the victory, you're doing it in vain. God is at work even in your victory. And sometimes when we stop to acknowledge God in our victory, we start to allow pride to come over ourselves and say, look what I've done. This is what I've done in my life, and and I would be a bad theologian if I didn't quote somebody who's mentoring me right now at Dallas Willard, but he writes this in one of his books. When Satan undertook to draw Eve away from God, he did not hit her with a stick, but with an idea. It was an idea that God could not be trusted and that she must act on her own to secure her own well-being. And so this idea that this is the way that Satan works. He just starts to put doubt in your mind. Like, you don't really need God. Look at all that you've done without him. Look what you've accomplished. He didn't help you get that raise. He didn't help you have a child. He didn't help you whatever, fill in the blank, whatever you're going through in your life. You don't need God. But I would argue, and I would hopefully challenge you to consider God even in your victory the most to give the glory and honor to God because he is worried. He is worthy of it. And so don't be confused. God is in the middle of every victory and every failure. I think that we all understand that. I think that we all know that that's not the issue. The issue is whether or not you will acknowledge it. Are you gonna start acknowledging God in your life? So at the beginning of the message, I I highlighted this penny. I want you just to think about this as I share the story. I I want you to think about how much God cares about you and how I believe that he's speaking and working in our lives as individuals, that God cares so much about you. That when I first went on staff, I had uh, been friends with this guy that I met in college and we started hanging out more regularly as like a discipler somebody who was just sitting down and just mentoring this guy. And so we started meeting up regularly. His name was Zach. And Zach was coming around. He was a junior in college at the time when we started meeting. But I had known him when I was a student. And I started talking to Zach. Zach would engage with people. But every time that he would talk to somebody, he would always say this. Hey, my name's Zach, and I'm an atheist. Like, all the time. Like, even if he had met somebody, like, 15 times, he would say, hey, my name's Zach, and I'm an atheist. Like, he took pride in that, for being an atheist. Anytime that he would talk in small group discussion, he would say, hey, you know, this is just my thought about the text, but I'm an atheist, so what do I know? And that was his shtick. That's what he did. That's what he talked about all the time. And I remember one day, we were at the caffeinery. We were there talking, and I just said, Zach, what's the deal? You know, you've been coming around this church for the last three years. What's going on? Like, What's preventing you from believing in Jesus? And he said, well, you know, God isn't real. You know, I'm an atheist and I don't believe in God. 
And I said, okay, well, what would God have to do in order for him to prove it to you? Like, what does God have to do to reveal himself to you? And he said, oh, well, you know, fall retreat is coming up. We would go to Camp Crosley. And on the grounds there at Camp Crosley, there's this huge, massive lake. And there's a pillar, a couple pillars that go out into the lake. And and Zach said, you know, while you guys are reading the Bible or doing your quiet time or whatever you guys are doing, I'm going to go out during that time and I'm going to sit at the end of the lake. And if God is real, like you claim him to be, if God is real, he'll prove it to me by allowing a fish to jump up out of the lake. And I began to laugh. You know, Zach is from the, the big city of Jasper, Indiana. So, you know, he probably doesn't see a lot of fish jumping up out of, the, out of lakes. And, he, and I began to laugh. And he said, well, well, I know that that happens often. And so not only is a fish going to jump up out of a lake, but then another fish is going to jump up right after it. And then a bald eagle is going to swoop in from the skies. It's going to grab the fish. It's going to fly around the pond, the lake, and it's going to drop the fish in my lap. I'm going to be uh, crisscross applesauce on the end of this pier. It's going to fall into my lap. And then I will know that God is real. And I began to laugh even harder at this point because it was just so ridiculous. It was so ridiculous. And, and I looked at Zach. I composed myself and I said, you know what, Zach? I, I really do believe that God can do this. I really believe that God will do this. But even if God doesn't do this, I was reminded of Daniel 3 in that moment when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were being persecuted for their faith in God. And they said, we're not going to bow down to God. And so they said, okay, great. We're going to throw you into the furnace. And they said this, we believe that our God is able to save us from the furnace. But even if he doesn't, God is still good. And so I shared that with Zach and I prayed. I prayed that the Lord would reveal himself in this way, in this very specific way. And I didn't get to talk to Zach at fall retreat. I was busy doing other things. But on Sunday, after fall retreat was over, I, I got to talk with Zach. And I said, so Zach, did, did it happen? Did a fish land on your lap? And he, and he laughed in my face. He said, of course not. God isn't real. And I said, okay, of course, yeah. And so I went on my way. I drove home. And that Monday morning, we had our staff meeting. And it was a, a couple minutes before staff meeting started And one of the pastors were scrolling through their phone and they said, did anybody see what Zach posted last night on Facebook? And I was like, no, 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 what what happened? And, And I got on Facebook and I read and Zach doesn't post very much, but he wrote this huge thing. And, and the first thing it said is, you know, I know that this might sound crazy, but God revealed himself to me last night. And the way that he did it, The way that he cared about Zach, his penny, the way that he showed himself to Zach was through something that Zach cared so much about. You see, the the interesting thing about Zach is that he is obsessed with WWE. He loves wrestling. And one of the people that he loves, he idolizes, had come clean on social media that he was dealing with alcoholism and substance abuse. And he had been doing this for a couple of years, just in the dark. No one knew about it. Everybody was surprised when they heard about it. And he said, I need help. And the only way that I'm going to get help is if I acknowledge Jesus as Lord. And he went on to share the gospel over social media. And as Zach was reading this, something clicked inside of Zach. And only the ways in which God could do it. Because listen, I had shared the gospel with Zach tons of times. Probably better than that WWE star. I don't want to be too proud, but I think I did it a little better. 
But you know what? God is working. And God was working in Zach's life in only the way that Zach could receive it. And I want to believe, I want to trust, I'm praying that God is at work in every single person who's holding this penny right now. And so maybe you need God in a big way. Maybe for the first time, you're starting to realize that you've never acknowledged God. You've never understood that Jesus has a plan and purpose for your life. And let me tell you that today you can make a decision to follow him for the rest of your life. We're about to celebrate baptisms this morning. And so if you would, if you're getting baptized, I want to encourage you to make your way over to the baptistry. But listen, my friends, that today is the day to consider God. God is at work in your life, in the victory, in your day-to-day life, in your failure. God is at work, and he is worthy to be acknowledged and praised. And so if you make a decision this morning, it's easy. Just talk to God. Confess your sin to God. Confess your need to God. And if you do that this morning, I would love to hear about it. I'd love to take you out to coffee. I'd love to get an email or text or call this week about a decision that you made this morning to follow Jesus. And I believe that there are going to be people this morning that will do that. But maybe you've gone through seasons where you don't acknowledge Jesus anymore. Come back. Come back to God because he is worthy of being acknowledged and praised. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you that you care about us, and that because you care about us, we can cast our cares on you. So Jesus, I just pray that in this moment, there would be people that their hearts are stirring in affection for you, God, that for the first time in their life, they might be making decisions to follow you, that this would be a decision that they wouldn't take lightly, that they would be encouraged and inspired to consider you more often in their life. And so, Lord, I just praise you that you are always at work, that you care about us, that you care about us in our victory, in our failure, in our day-to-day lives. And, Lord, I just pray that through our days to come that we would always acknowledge you. At deeper levels, would you help us? Lord, I confess in the moments where I don't acknowledge you, I repent of that. And, Lord, I pray that you would help me be mindful of you as I go throughout this journey. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. You are so, so good. Amen.